Hey there, Brittany here. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about a special online mini training that I'm offering for free for a limited time. It's called Peace, Love, Stepmom. And not to toot my own horn, but beep beep, it's pretty freaking awesome. Peace Love Stepmom will give you the exact steps to take in order to create more harmony in your stepfamily without feeling like you have to walk on eggshells or bite your tongue or ignore your own needs just to keep the peace. Because if you are listening to this, then chances are pretty good that you know there's a big difference between not fighting and actually feeling peaceful. To enroll in Peace Love Stepmom and get immediate access to this incredible online course, head to peacelovestepmom.com and sign up. It's totally free. You don't want to miss it. So go to peacelovestepmom.com to enroll and get immediate access. Now on with the show. Where would you take your life if you knew you could not fail. I get it. As a stepmom, mom, and entrepreneur, sometimes it can feel like what everyone else expects of you versus what you dream about for yourself are on opposite ends of the spectrum. As a woman, you're taught from a very young age what society thinks you're worth based on how you look, how you behave, and how much money you're allowed to bring in. But I'm here to show you that you can be the woman who has it all, and not just on the outside. I'm Brittany Lynch, and you are the queen of your castle. Hey there, beauty queens. You are listening to the Queen of Your Castle podcast. I am your host, Brittany Lynch, and I have a very, very, very special guest here for you today. And I'm so excited. I'm so excited about this episode. So we are fortunate enough to have on the show today, Dr. Unate Mekawane. Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) She has been a family physician for 15 years. She's also a keynote speaker, a men's health and boy children's mental health coach. Amazing. She and her partner have two amazing kids, a 12-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter. They are her world. She's the founder and CEO of Dr. M Health Corner Talk Show. And she's also the president of Black Mental Health Matters and co-host of Black Mental Health Matters Talk Show. And Dr. Unati works with men from all walks of life, boy children, immigration schools, private and public organizations. Um, And she's an expert on everything from childhood trauma to love and emotions and sex and mental health. And she's the whole she's the full meal deal. And I can't wait to have her share her wisdom and her experience and her beautiful personality with you. And ladies, you're going to have to get your partners to listen to the show. And if you've got sons, you're going to have to take what we are saying today and bring it to them. So thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it so much. Thank you so much, Brittany. I'm excited to be here with you. So why don't you tell our listeners what it is 
that makes you tick? What do you love to do? What lights you up? Lovely question, Brittany. You know what? What I love doing is spending time, of course, with my kids and my partner. We do all sorts of crazy things, but changing the world around me, I think because of what I do in my practice, the seeing, the suffering in men that I meet and the boy children. So what makes me tick is when I bring that smile to their faces and when they come back and say, dog, I haven't touched alcohol or cocaine for three months because of the discussions that we have at the clinic and of course the CBT sessions we have. So it's quite an amazing experience to see men showing their their vulnerability. Mm. So that makes me tick. It's when we see the results. Can you explain how you went from being in family practice to having these sorts of conversations with men and then becoming a talk show host for men and boys? Can you explain that journey to us, please? Right. It's interesting how it happened, actually. I still run my practice. I'm in a solo private practice in Calgary. And when COVID-19 hit Last year, uh, I I felt there was a big need. When you look at the world, we complain about how men are struggling with depression and not coming up to us, suicides, homelessness, incarcerations, gender-based violence. We will probably remember that that's what happened around the world. We had stats also here in Canada. And then I started noticing that indeed, my patients started talking, started speaking up, seeking help. And there was a lot of fear and some people were showing anger and of course the gender-based violence. And I felt felt compelled really to do the work. So I didn't leave my practice per se. I started speaking on my platforms, Facebook, on my YouTube, on my LinkedIn. And I was amazed by the response from men actually. Also even sending me DMs and people who, it didn't matter which caliber they belonged to. It didn't matter if they were CEOs of big companies, big organizations. I realized that, you know what? We are all humans. It doesn't matter. We all have these needs (laughs) and there's a need now. There's the pandemic. So that's basically how it all started. And I decided after speaking and saw the need and these personal questions that were asked on the DMs, I felt, let me start a show. And mine is quite unique. I don't go public. We go into a really nice private space so that men can be vulnerable. And actually the guys are just a global community. I have people in South Africa. I'm from South Africa. So I even had my uncle join us. I have a community in the Caribbean, South America, Africa, Europe, Canada. And people were just showing their vulnerabilities. And interestingly, in the beginning, people were not showing their names. And six weeks later, people showed their faces, people showed their names. There were a lot of anonymous. I couldn't say, hey, hello, Mr. So-and-so. So So for me, that makes me smile when I see people even showing their faces, even showing their names. There must be something we're doing right. Mm -hmm. It's a really nice, safe place where people really show vulnerability and share their stories from their childhood Mm -hmm. so they can connect the dots. Mm -hmm. Yes. What have you noticed or maybe what statistics do you have or research do you have or anecdotal evidence 
that speaks specifically about the struggles that men have when it comes to expressing anything related to emotions and mental health and vulnerability and trauma. Right, right. You know what? What's interesting, I'm from South Africa, like I said, I thought when I came here 10 years ago, it was looking back, I didn't have many male patients coming in in South Africa to me to talk about their mental health. And I moved here. Again, I noticed that there's a trend. Men tend to take a little bit long to come to see us. Uh, sometimes when they start sharing their stories, you'll find that a 45-year-old man is sharing a story from a past experience when he was six or when he was 10, right? So there's a trend. Men are suffering in silence. It doesn't matter which culture they belong to, race, or any belief. Honestly, they are the same, right? And I think somehow this pandemic has pushed a lot of them you know, outside their comfort zone. People are coming up now, they are sharing their stories because again, people are isolated. So somehow it, I see it as a blessing in disguise. I find when COVID-19 hit, we had that lockdown. I had more male patients calling for help when it comes to mental health. And I mean, I still had my female patients, but I was quite proud of people that I didn't see for some time before COVID hit, but they reached out. Mm-hmm. So there's basically a trend. They don't necessarily come in on time. It could take even years or sometimes a year before they come in. They usually, generally men, they want to solve things themselves. That's the nature of how they are, right? Mm-hmm. So when you say that they would come to you for for help with their mental health or with addictions, what are you seeing most around, like you said, COVID-19 and this isolation? What are the trends that you are seeing in our men right now? A lot of alcoholism. People are finding themselves are drinking a lot more than before. Uh, Most especially in the first three months of lockdown, people were drinking a lot more. Uh, Others started experimenting with other drugs you know, cannabis is legal. So people were already doing that, but they noticed that they were using it a lot more to sleep or to just to numb their anxieties. And also remember people lost jobs. So there was a lot of fear of loss of jobs. And of course that also affected relationships. People are stuck now with their spouses, with their partners. That didn't necessarily happen that way before COVID. Not like people didn't really enjoy their spouses, but also it also brought a lot of clarity to some relationships, people started realizing that they were not aligned with their spouses or their partners. So there was just a shift. You know? So there was a lot of alcohol abuse, there's drugs, uh, and some people were admitting they became, they became really angry, angry at the fact that loss of jobs and the expectation to show up to their spouses. So there was a lot of pressure. So depression set into and those that had anxiety, pre-existing anxiety, we started seeing more of that. Mm-hmm. I'm having a thought come to mind about how people will reach to substances to numb when they haven't been taught the tools to process their emotions and sit with uncomfortable uh, feelings or when they're not given safety throughout their lives to express those feelings. And 
from what I'm understanding, this space that you provide to them gives them that safety to express those feelings and to process that vulnerable process, those feelings and sit in that vulnerability and sit in that super uncomfortable space without being judged. Why do you think it is that it requires that men feel they need, they require at first like the veil of anonymity in a, in an online group where nobody knows their name why do you think that men specifically have those challenges? Right. I think it's because of how the world or the society was designed, really, Brittany, because like I said, this doesn't matter which culture you belong to. Men have always been seen as these strong beings. They go to the walls. That's mostly the, the population that goes to, you know, the leaders of their families. They've always been seen as these people that need to lead their families so so you can imagine that was the common comment when I I was I started speaking more on my LinkedIn I would hear men telling me that how do I even show my vulnerability to my spouse you know I have to show up I'm a CEO of this company and I show up at work I'm competent I'm doing great my organization is super uh, uh, successful but still I'm suffering inside. So I think it's because of how the world honestly had perceived men or boy children. So that's why I start with boy children, how when we are raising as parents, actually recently I had a poll on my LinkedIn. I said, when your boy child is ill, who takes him to see a doctor or nurse practitioner? Interestingly, there was 50% response. Some men said, yeah, I'll take my child. Uh, initially, though, there was that 30 percent more women were the ones, mothers were the ones that take these boy children to the doctor. So it starts there. Like men, they are seen as they go to work. Of course, the societies have changed. Women work too. But they've always been those providers. So they want to be strong for everybody else. And then they suffer in silence. And again, men, interestingly, when they present with depression, it needs a lot of history taking and the skill on the clinician to unpack their story because a man could come to me with a headache or could come to me with an upset stomach or they could say, dog, I have back pain. So I need to unpack that. And you find out that actually this person does not even sleep, you know, and then you get to the point that because men, they tend to present a little different. So you could easily miss it and they will leave the clinic and then you keep seeing this back pain that's not going away. You keep giving all these muscle relaxants till you dig, right? And again, the, like I said, again, depending also where you grew up, maybe you grew up with family that never really expressed emotion. So that it has a lot of layers. Uh, it, it just basically needs us to start changing as spouses, as partners, and also as we are raising this new generation of boys to be okay with expressing their, to be okay expressing their hurt feelings, not mocking them because that's another layer because sometimes parents also bring that about to boy children. So I think it takes a lot of awareness also as parents, as we're raising these boys to understand that they have the same feelings. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I I couldn't help but, but 
think about what you said uh, back a, a few minutes ago about how when the pandemic began, the spouses kind of expected the their male partners to take on more of these responsibilities. And, and I can remember um, early on in the pandemic, uh, the kids were home from school and daycare. My husband was was working from home, which I do right I do when there's kids around already um and all of a sudden it was like it was like we he got thrown into this like cold bath water this cold ice water and there was a part of me that was like almost a little bit in a petty way a little bit glad for him to experience what it's like to be the person who stays at home and carries the mental load and has to get groceries and and has to coordinate the whole entire family because i feel like and i could be wrong this is a big assumption but i feel like when men leave the house to go to work they're not thinking about what's going on at home they're not thinking about making sure the bills are paid they're not thinking about making sure that the kids all have their specific types of food that they want to have and so when this pandemic started i feel like men just really got a taste of what the mental load is like to be the woman yeah and I'm not I'm not discounting how intense that is because I know how intense that is. Culturally, though, it's like an expectation that women carry this mental load and men ha- carry a different mental load. Right? Right. right. So then when you combine them and that's what I found women were complaining about or not complaining, uh, having a lot of pressure with was now learning to learning to work at home in addition to all of the other responsibilities. It was like everybody took on everybody else's responsibilities and the gender roles kind of got messed up and the mental load got messed up and the work got messed up and we don't know how to communicate and we don't know how to hold space for each other's feelings. So basically it's a perfect storm, right? It so It played interestingly because for me, my partner works from home and I was the one who felt I was thrown like I basically behaved like those guys because he works in South Africa and he's here. Now he was gone. Lockdown happened. He couldn't come back here. South Africa locked down completely. I was stuck with these kids for 10 months. It was this disaster, Brittany. And I had to switch my practice to home. There were times when my patients would call and I'll be like, hello. And then suddenly my three-year-old would come running, mama and this. But you know what, though? There was such an amazing experience that my patients got to experience me now. In, a, in, a, in another note, you know, they, is that your daughter? Yes, it's my daughter. Oh, then we, start talk, we started talking about our kids, you know, socially. Not like we went when I was at work, but there's also that boundary right but you just not in a bad way but it was such a nice human factor that just for me part the pandemic just brought that to us that you know what we can still talk about things so how are you getting your groceries it was just an amazing experience and some patients would even call me and ask how are you doing your partner is not around how are you doing so there was just a level of compassion and love that I received because I was basically running around like a headless chicken Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about the emails I was getting from my son's school. 
I kept saying sorry because I was missing the times. It was crazy. It's all been it's all been really a crapshoot, though. I think I think everyone can agree this whole thing has really been a crapshoot. Um, it's 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 unfortunate that it takes things like this for people to get so unwell. Right. That they that they need to to reach out, reach out for help. But also there have been so many beautiful things that people have done to come together. And like you said, your patients calling and volunteering to bring you groceries or or whatever that looks like. Um, Yeah, I think things like this bring out the best and the worst and the worst in in humanity. So, yes, I mean, I also noticed my patients that had families that were far they would say, you know what, I started talking to my brother. I haven't talked to him for five years because, you know, there was this fear. It overwhelmed everybody. No one, even if you were not speaking to your father or whoever because of whatever feud you guys had, there was just this peace. It also brought that level of peace and people are reconciling. So it's been beautiful to watch those shifts. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a lot of people were kind of presented, confronted with their mortality, right? There is a very real possibility that maybe we won't make it out of this. So let's let bygones be bygones and let's mend some fences. And yeah, that's that's great that those reconciliations were were able to happen. Yes, I loved it. Yes. What have you noticed about things like PTSD and depression in your male patients, I guess, post-COVID? Post-COVID. Like I said, men, one has to be careful on how to listen to their story when they come in because men tend to present with non-specific symptoms. You know, they will come with that back pain, you know, upset stomach and... Um, once you start asking more, they'll tell you they're working a lot more because also even, I mean, the organizations, they wear more expectations and the CEOs or the managers were in the beginning, everyone was just startled. You know, people were trying to find this balance. So there was a lot of working. I mean, even if people were getting paid for that over time, but it was too much and overwhelming. So sleeplessness and people were drinking a lot more. And like I said, they started experimenting with other drugs. Uh, so I started seeing that lasting over two weeks, people started calling. Uh, I started people on antidepressants. Actually, when I look at the stats, I've started more antidepressants in this season, more than I ever did in men. So that's good that people are coming out to talk about it. And it's been amazing, the, the PCN, which is the primary care network, which is part of um, Alberta Health Services, they are doing amazing to avail themselves for that mental health support. But I've noticed it's mostly women who will reach out <laughs> to get that support. Men, they tend to want to deal with it. If you give them that antidepressant, they tend to be like, you know what, I'll be okay. But you know what, it's better than before. So that's basically what we've seen. And I also noticed there is a bit more of follow-ups because sometimes you would start a person on an antidepressant and then 
you realize that this person never came back two weeks later you haven't seen them like you said there's this fear of mortality you know so people are scared to be alone and be stuck and also i've seen those that say you know i'm scared to even overdose i'm scared i don't want to i'm vulnerable i want to be with people so there's been a lot of also friends accompanying you know the patient coming in there's been a lot of support and then of course ptsd at this point i wouldn't say i'm seeing anything related to uh to covid and i'm sure we will see it so far i'm just seeing plain depression ptsd what i see continuously is the pre-existing ptsd that was there prior and of course right now i mean this is another event and it's traumatic to everyone but people who already had the pre-existing diagnosis they're struggling more so with anxiety and depression symptoms mm-hmm. so when you when you talk about or talk with your men who are in your community your global community what sorts of conversations do you have with them how do you kind of guide them through these big heavy topics like pre-existing PTSD and lots of depression and lots of anxiety what do you how do you help them you know what i've done and i would actually advise any health professional looking after patients in general there's this new study that just came out and we started to use it even in our prenatal patients Kaiser Permanente Institute CDC Kaiser Permanente Institute in 27 sorry in 1997 to 1998 they did a big study on 17000 graduates this was an american study but it's applicable to what we see out there and they looked at these 10 questions that i'm going to mention here briefly they said in your childhood was there any between a 0 to 18 years was there any exposure to sexual abuse physical abuse or emotional abuse was there any mental illness any member in your family like an adult did you witness any abuse sometimes it didn't happen to you right so did you witness your parents were they fighting any of your relatives went to jail was there any exposure to terrorism or you came from a war torn zone like all all these areas was there any poverty where you always hungry you needed neighbors to give you food so all these factors contributed to how you turn out and of course was there any substance abuse violence in your family parents were they divorced or separated when we were young so these all collectively would cause toxic stress to a growing brain so that is my approach when i start these discussions because people are sitting there and they are thinking oh my goodness i am ticking i'm ticking i'm ticking so now i am bringing this to show them that you are not alone now once we bring anything that you want to discuss and you come as a collective you are automatically you are removing that shield because now people will start a conversation from that so that's where i begin my conversations and in this study which is called adverse childhood experiences anyone who scored 4 and above had a higher risk of chronic diseases because i mean if you are a child exposed to all this trauma throughout your childhood there will be high levels of cortisol high levels of epinephrine 
adrenaline. So now you are exposed to all this, which would later lead to obesity. We, we all know this when you have high levels of cortisol, you'll have obesity, which would later lead to high cholesterol or risks of diabetes. So they kind of see and connect the dots. And then these people were also found to have higher risk of developing COPD, the chronic lung diseases, and mental illnesses, depression, anxiety, PTSD. So once people came to understand the effect of all this trauma collectively causing all these, causing a lot of men that are in my group, it's 50 and above. Some of them have experienced this. And of course, we can't underestimate the effect of epigenetics, the history of, and also people understand it's not what's wrong with you, what happened to you. It could be from your forefathers, right? So trauma is not just, just about experiencing it yourself. What happened to your forefathers? And then it continues in generations. So once you come with that approach, people, they find that, comfort that I'm not alone. And then it opens them up. And with the way I do my discussions, we talk about, okay, let's talk about uh, PTSD. What do you understand? Honestly, people start talking about, I think it's something traumatic that happened to you. So it starts, I don't go there and give a lecture because if I do that, I won't get anything out of them. So it's been amazing. I speak and then people have all these hands up. I find it's beautiful when it's more interactive and it takes us to another direction on the, and then people start sharing their stories and they feel that they are not alone. And then another person shares his story. So it's been beautiful. It's, we basically use practical examples. And also I become a vulnerable myself. I share my personal stories. Right. So I think once people, when we help as clinicians, when we deal with people, we need to bring that human factor. And I think anywhere we go, because people, when they come to us, they're already vulnerable. They're going to share a story maybe they are not proud of or they are embarrassed of, or there's shame because we both know that people, they tend to be guilty and there's a lot of shame. So you, you want to help them to come from a point of, you know what, I hear you. It's not what is wrong with you. It's what happened to you. That level of compassion is very important. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. I, I'm curious, is that kind of a common theme that up until men hear other men sharing stories similar to theirs, that they thought they were the only person having those experiences? You know what? Some, of course, will be quiet, but this type of questions, they would use third-party uh, questioning. And, of course, in general, people, when they have experienced something or they feel that the other person shared, it's either it's shared as a joke. That's what I've noticed for, for it to sound mild and we laugh about it. Uh, and, then we, and then there's a use of third-party, you know, referencing, and I'm okay with that because the key thing is at least people are leaving these experiences and sharing their story. It doesn't matter for me if they are sharing it as a third party, that's okay. But at least there's a level of awareness that I'm not alone, you know, and then you see the direction of where the person, when they want that clarity, they want to take action. What can I do then? You know, there's that. So it becomes really beautiful. You see that there's going to be a plan of action here after this conversation. Mm. 
it's been great because for me the other thing i'm big at is disease prevention like i said uh one way or the other we have been hit at some point as children uh people deal with some level of trauma so once people understand that they also understand the importance of physical examinations because you know we tend to struggle seeing men coming in for their physical exams you find that it's a lot of times their spouses ask them to come in. So once people understand the bigger picture of how that risk could come about, now there's a sense of ownership that, you know what, I need to be careful. I did not choose this trauma that happened to me. Now it's even more than just being depressed. I could have heart attack here from all these risks this, uh, this is stipulated here. So there's a level of understanding disease process and also the understanding of, you know what, it's not only women that get depressed. You could be depressed from this event that was traumatic. It happened several times and not everyone would experience depression. Some people would be resilient because of the help they got. Maybe there was a neighbor that would take you to church or wherever that was supportive for you. That nurturing, cause every child needs that nurturing and attachment. So not everyone would experience PTSD after all this or depression. There's a level of resilience and the help you receive as you grow. Mm-hmm. I think that there's something really important to talk about here. Um, I'm familiar with the adverse childhood uh, experiences study that you're talking about. And I know that one of the criteria or one of the risk factors or one of these adverse childhood effects or experiences that put people at risk later in life for depression and anxiety and addictions, et cetera, et cetera. One of those is divorce. Parents who get a divorce. And everyone listening to this show is a step parent or a parent of a child who has been through a divorce. And I really want to emphasize what you just said about the importance of there being nurturing and attachment and support in those growing and developing brains as something that will protect these kids when they get older. Um, And, and, you know, I think that there's a lot of the time the research is kind of misquoted to, to suit a narrative where, every child whose parents divorce is going to end up this like person with all sorts of mental health concerns. And that doesn't have to necessarily be true if we as parents can provide these attachments, these nurturings, these, um, this support, these safe places for, for emotions, et cetera, to be held in. So, yeah, I just want that. I just think that that's that's an important thing to do. And I think you know what to add to what you said, Brittany. I always talk about parental alienation syndrome, which I find it's humongous mm-hmm. with communities of divorced parents. And I always have a discussion with these parents that listen. Yes, now your child is presenting as if he or she's defiant, he's depressed or acting out, all these symptoms you are bringing forth. But remember, this child is grieving. Mm -hmm. You separated or you divorced. This is not what this child wanted for his or her parents. 
So there's a lot of guilt. Sometimes some children are blamed by the other parent who has that uh, uh, issue of parental alienation. So there's already that trauma of the separation or divorce. I find it so painful when I watch these children going through parental alienation because there's a lot of drama between the parents. So I would love to see peaceful co-parenting parents doing it beautifully for the sake of these children. Because unfortunately, they find solace in drugs. I have young kids, 12 year olds, 13 year olds that are doing drugs or are sexually exploited by men. Because remember kids that have high adverse childhood experiences scores, they attract a lot of this traumatic experience again they relive it again so we have a lot of young children that have ptsd that would have all the PTSD. i mean they the teenage pregnancies they're dropping out of school they're bullying you know we see overdose how many parents we've seen losing their children as young as 15. so i think as parents we need to be mindful when a relationship ends it doesn't mean it should, because the child is already hurting. That I wanted to emphasize. I really liked it when you brought that. Mm-hmm. And and something else important, I think, to note is that kids, kids do what we do. They don't do what we say. So the best way to model mental wellness and emotional maturity and pr- proper grief processing is to model it for them, not to tell them what to do, not to tell them, you can tell me anything, right? That's great. It's great to tell your kids, you can talk to me about anything, but kids won't talk to you about anything unless that is that safety is created in, in other ways. So. Yes. I love that. The communication. And also, we also want to bring the the, the emotional intelligence as a parent, because sometimes it's easy to want to be your child's friend, you still need to have that authoritative parenting style where you will still guide your child and bring forth the discipline that is expected according to the age range. And while you are nurturing, loving, but sometimes it's easy for parents to fall into the friend zone with the children. And then that's when the problem kicks in sometimes. So I think it's important for us to have that awareness that you still need to assume the role of an adult in this child's life because you are preparing a child that you will send out to the world as a person who's socialized, who's ready to be a good citizen out there and be able to socialize with others because it's part of development to have good relationships with other people. And every person wants to be a part of a community. Every person, humans humans evolve to be social creatures. We need other people. Yes. And so I know that this, I know that the pandemic has been very hard. I have my stepson is 13 and and it's been super hard on him. Thankfully, they're back to school a bit, but I know that the isolation has been, has been tough on them. But something I want to ask you is, you know, I, it, it really breaks my heart to kind of see the way that children's misbehavior 
air quote, misbehavior is almost always attributed to some type of like blaming parenting failure. But a different way to look at it is that when kids are acting out, it's because they're having some sort of essentially mental health crisis that they don't that they don't know how to navigate right like tantrums are not because they're being bad kids who are doing drugs when they're teenagers are not being bad it's not has nothing to do with a character defect or or a morality or anything like that what advice can you give to parents like what are things to be on the lookout for that are kind of red flags to be like my child needs support my child needs mental health support my child is essentially calling for help my boy right in particular needs this help what can we be on the lookout for as parents right I think in the beginning, we need to nurture relationships with our children. And I like that you mentioned that sometimes it has nothing to do with bad parenting. You know, I mean, even psychology says that you will do your part as a family unit, but there's also the environment your child is growing in. There's those factors that will influence. And also the child is also growing to, into his or her own character you know, the temperament and all those things. So there's so many influences around. You could do the best. You just pray that your child is following through and building that self-esteem. So I think it starts with our nurturing. How do we do it? Like being consistent in what we do. Of course, nothing is perfect out there. We, We are learning this parenting. It's never easy. And also each child is different. So you always want to adjust here and there. But just maintaining your consistency, I think that's the key thing is let's be consistent and um, just be loving and not comparing our children, you know, with others, like with their siblings, just equally loving them. Because children, they watch, like you said in the beginning, they don't listen to what you say, they watch your actions. So sometimes the acting out you are seeing is he is or she's coming from a place of need. You know, I always refer everything to the Maslow's hierarchy, you know, my hierarchy of needs, everyone, I always say all of us, we want to belong, we want to be heard, we want to be understood, and we want to be loved, right? So your child, when such things happen, you need to step back as a parent, what is it that I'm not doing right here? Oh, what is off here? Why is my child suddenly behaving this way? Sometimes it could be probably the new stepmother that came into his life, he could be insecure that probably he still wanted his mother here. So he's, like I said in the beginning, they are grieving the loss of this marriage and relationship. So it's up to the adults in their lives, like the stepmother that comes in and the stepdad to come to their level and understand that they are hurting. Mm -hmm. And the importance of not speaking badly about the other parent, because now that is frustrating. Your child doesn't want to choose who should be loved more. Our children love us completely equally, to be honest, if we could create that space for them. So once you start confusing your child by speaking negatively about the the parent, the other parent, that's when the confusion kicks in. And then you start seeing your child isolating. Or sometimes if you have quite a sensitive child, you know, we still see kids, empaths out there, maybe struggling because he's feeling the pain of his or her friend 
who is struggling. I remember actually my, my young boy, he was probably six or seven. First time he said the word divorce, he was sad and he's quite a sensitive person. He said, I'm sad. I asked what was going on. He said, so-and-so's parents are divorcing. And I asked what that meant to him. So of course he was worried about now he will not be able to see this boy. He might move from the area. So there was a loss of lots of emotions there. So sometimes it has nothing to do with the home setting. So it's important to know who your, your child's friends are, what is the dynamic out there, not necessarily knowing the nitty gritties of those families, but your child could also be grieving loss of the friend that is going to leave town. So there's a lot of things and also sudden withdrawal. And, you know, it's quite interesting when they get to that preteen and teen stage where they are independent. So you still need to show that presence in their lives because they, they are doing their own thing, but you can tell your child and you can feel the energy in the house. So when they start isolating or suddenly they, even in the house, they're wearing big hoodies, even if it's hot in the house, maybe your child has started cutting. So you need to start looking into those things. And of course, I don't wanna start talking about the cell phones. That depends on each family's rules, you know, because children nowadays, they struggle and they go on those cell phones. There's a lot of cyberbullying. We've seen children committing suicide. So we need to know our children's whereabouts, not in a nagging manner. I think that communication line you talked about in the beginning, the knowing and your child being comfortable enough, you creating that communication line for him or her when he or she's suffering to come to you. So there's a lot of things really. And of course the change in mood. And again, if it's a girl child, maybe she's gonna start menstruating. You know, there's those mood swings. Again, it goes back to, we need to know our kids. And I mean, they evolve and they are changing that constant presence. I think we need to be present. Mm -hmm. And I know it's hard when we are working, but you can easily see the changes in your child, sudden withdrawal, not eating well. And of course, we also see eating disorders. You know, maybe your child is being bullied at school or even maybe pay attention when your child doesn't want to go to school. All of a sudden, he or she used to enjoy going there while all of a sudden doesn't want to go. So just anything that has changed, you know, you want to start sitting down and of course, reach out to teachers. Teachers are amazing. They are a good reference point where you can start talking about, you know, you would like them to start noticing any changes. They're really good with watching those signs. And then if at home there's things suddenly you are losing stuff, they, a child that still suddenly is doing drugs probably, you know, if things are disappearing in the house and even also the money you give your child, we need to be very um, mindful of how much and also the, the, the accountability because too much money also brings a lot of problems. You know, we've seen children buying drugs because there's too much money they have. So we also need to be very uh, uh, mindful about that and probably instead of that money to be in their disposal, maybe start doing, start teaching. And of course, according to age, maybe start teaching investment and then they can excitedly see it grow, you know, that way, instead of having it cash, of course, they could still always have their cash. But I think it's one of those things that we need to be a step ahead, really, you know, because our children are smart and they are very good with technology. They are ahead. 
so also paying attention to what your child watches you know the people he's hanging out with or she's hanging out with even online because there's a lot of stuff going on online too mm-hmm. recently actually one of the celebrity psychologists an amazing lady in the states her 16 year old overdosed and it was a person he met on snapchat so our children are exposed to a lot of things there's so much traffic i feel bad for our children in this era we are raising them in mm-hmm. yeah and and the time to start figuring out the time to start a, a, an intimate relationship with your kids isn't in a crisis it's not when things are all when you're already suspecting something is off right we i think a lot of the time we wait until there's a fire to try and figure out how to get out of the building rather than knowing what to do in advance and having those relationships built in advance so yeah we need to be mindful and we work we're busy but we need to create that time because time is running our children grow so fast and that distance is created and unfortunately when they are gone they are gone and once they hit that teen teen stage they are independent they don't want to spend time with it. and that's okay again they are also independent but i think that creating that space they know that they can always come and speak openly and vulnerable is fundamental mm-hmm. so important right. and if not then they can come and see you when they are older and come into your talk show when they're older. Yes, yes. My son always laughs at me. I'm like, you'll always be my baby. He's like, no, stop it. I'm like, you know what? You'll always be because, I mean, he's my baby. He'll always be to me. Our kids are our kids are the same, very the same age. My, right. Yeah, my stepson's 13. Yours is 12, you said, right? He will tell me, mom, in the morning, I'm still... I'm still with myself. Can you please stop? And you know, those are the other things. Initially, me, where I grew up, I didn't have those moments of I needed to stretch first and be in the present moment. So my son is very mindful of that. You know what? In the morning, guys, can you please let me be? You know, I'm starting to understand that and he's setting his boundaries. So I'm quite impressed with how he's setting it with us too. So that's good. I love that. I love that. Kids are always setting boundaries. It's just whether the adult respects them or not, I think, a lot of the time. So something else yeah. we can to love. It's so hard. It's so hard also, Brittany. And it's also, I mean, how we are also raised. I didn't grow up in a, in a culture where those boundaries were set. I mean, you were asked to do something where I grew up, right? And the word of the adult, you know, it weren't, Right. But, you know, uh, it's been a shift for me to understand what I need to do differently. And I mean, I also appreciate how I grew up. There's things that I feel help me, oh, the, 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 the understanding of things that I couldn't do because of those no's sometimes that one needs to be very conscious of saying no where you would probably would ordinarily said yes. So I feel also there's a blessing coming from that end. But otherwise, the setting boundary, I honestly learned it here. It's amazing how our son just tells it. And I mean, I think also the discussions we have as families, I think it's important because 
we're not only wanting them to have boundaries to us, also to their friends and to their colleagues in the future. You are building their self-esteem to know their sense of being, basically. So important. So good. I'm sure I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Is there anything else that you would like to leave our audience with as we wrap up this episode? I think, Brittany, to leave your audience with let's be supportive of our men and let them be and be vulnerable because sometimes they are closed because of how we reacted in the beginning when a crisis or something happened and then they go to that shell. I think we need to create those spaces for them to feel safe, to share their thoughts so that you can, or they could get the help they need. And also for women, if they find that it's so hard to deal with a person who has mental health struggle, people don't sit in silence, go, there's lots of support groups out there. Know that you're not alone. There's a lot of support in the system. There's also lots of support. And with this COVID-19, lots of support groups, even on social media. I'm seeing a lot of women supporting each other. So reach out to people, don't suffer alone. And I mean, again, like Brittany said in the beginning, there's, people are finding overwhelmed because of their responsibilities, working from home, still doing all these things that can be overwhelming for to anybody. So mind the burnout. Burnout actually is a diagnosis now. World Health Organization defined it as one of the diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So when you have a burnout, listen to your body. And it's important to tap into those mindfulness, meditative states, you know, and resting, getting enough sleep and reaching out to positive energy, you know, reaching out to friends that are in your circles that have positive vibe. It's important. Mm -hmm. So important. Sometimes to keep connected. I couldn't agree more. Dr. Unati, if our listeners or their spouses would like to connect with you some more, where is the best place for us to find you, follow you, DM you, hear more of what you have to share with the world? Thanks, Brittany. I am on Facebook. I have a page on Facebook as Dr. M Health Corner. Instagram, same name, Dr. M Health Corner. I have my link there with my website and it will have my email address, obviously. And people who are on LinkedIn, people DM me on LinkedIn. So my email address is just on, on the link on my Instagram. So I'm present on Instagram. I'm present on Facebook, LinkedIn, and also YouTube, same name. Okay, perfect. We will make sure to link those up in the show notes for you so that you can connect with Dr. Unati. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for coming and having this very important conversation. I'm sure we could have many, many, many more of them. Mental health and mental wellness are a right. They're not a privilege. And I can speak for many people when I say I appreciate you so much for supporting our men and our boys. So thank you for having this conversation with me and sharing your expertise with the world. Thank you so much, Vinny. I had fun.
I'd love to come back. I hope this episode got your wheels turning and showed you just how powerful you are. I would invite you to take 30 seconds and tap subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe to the podcast, then rest assured you will never miss an episode. And in no time, spinning your wheels will be a thing of the past. Thank you for listening and subscribing. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the absolute world to me if after you subscribed, you jumped on over and left me a five-star review and better yet, a written review. I am on a mission to let every mom and stepmom know that you can create the life of your dreams. And I need your help to change the world. The world needs us. Thank you so much for subscribing and leaving me a five-star review. I will see you next week. For more behind-the-scenes action and to get really up close and personal with me and our beautiful step family, jump on over to Instagram and follow me at the step queen. Don't be shy. Send me a DM. Tag me in your posts. Tag me in your stories. Let me know what you're up to and what about the podcast has been blowing your mind. I cannot wait to get to know you better. And Instagram is my jam. I love you so much. I love you so much. Make it rain, girlfriend.